Welcome to the Modern Cloister, where we cultivate deeper thinkers and worshipers through conversations about the Christian life, in the same spirit as the community conversations that took place during the Reformation at the Black Cloister, the former monastery and home of Martin Luther and his wife, Katharina von Bora. I'm Carissa, and I'm here with Kevin, and today we are thrilled to be launching a new series all about the Psalms. Now, you may be wondering, why do we pick the Psalms for our second official series here at the Modern Cloister? And it's because the Psalms are a great example of the intersection of thinking and worshiping within the Christian life. The Psalms shape our theology and they influence our worship. Both of us have, over the past couple of years, come to truly begin appreciating the Psalms for all that they offer us within the Christian life. And our hope is to inspire and encourage others to love and cherish the Psalms as well through this series. As we begin, today's episode is going to be primarily geared toward exploring what the Psalms are, why they're important, and going through a couple things to keep in mind as we we learn to love the Psalms and learn to read the Psalms for all that they offer us. And then at the very end, we will both share some stories about how that process has looked for us over the past several years as well. To begin with, what are the Psalms? A simple definition, the Psalm word itself translated from the Greek that we use simply means a song accompanied by a stringed instrument. Now in the original Hebrew, it simply translates to praise, which means that the book of Psalms is really a collection of songs and prayers. There's 150 of them, and it's one of the longest books in the Bible. The Psalms were written from about 1500 to 500 BC, and they have a variety of authors. While David is typically associated most with the book of Psalms, and he did write 73 that are officially attributed to him, there are also other writers within the Psalms from Asaph to the sons of Korah. Solomon is credited with having two Psalms, and Moses even has one accredited to him. There are also about 50 Psalms in the book that don't have a particular person associated with them, but they're often attributed to David or are attributed to someone who was writing in the style of David, which is why David is really the primary author associated with the book. Now, why are the Psalms important? It's one thing to know that they exist and to know that they're in the Bible and and we should read them and engage with them, but really, why are they important and why should we take that extra effort to learn how to love them and incorporate them into our lives? Kevin, talk to us a little bit about that. Yeah, so obviously it was a prayer book in the Old Testament and we see lots of things that kind of look like different songs and prayers from really what, from Exodus on all the way through Mm -hmm. Chronicles, we have them. so it's obviously a Hebrew thing. It's an Old Testament thing. So I think a lot of people look at them and say, that seems like an Old Testament thing. So we're done. We're good. We have Jesus. Let's move on. But it's they're quoted extensively. And probably until you really start diving in the Psalms, you don't realize how much they're quoted. Mm-hmm. It's actually the most quoted book in the New Testament. And you know, Jesus, Paul, Peter, almost every, not every book, but certainly every author has some quotes from, directly from the Psalms. And Jesus uses them in two ways I kind of want to point out. One is, you know, on, on the cross. Uh, if you read Psalm, 20, Psalm 22, you will notice a lot of language. That's my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That mm-hmm. comes directly from the opening lines of Psalm 22. It also describes the suffering person who will be pierced. The person will have his garments divided. And then we see those things actually happen. So we see, you know, a messianic fulfillment there. And Jesus also uses, in, in discussing with people who he is, Psalm 
110, where David says, uh, the Lord said to my Lord. And so the question is, why would David be speaking to his descendants? Because remember, the, the Messiah was going to be a descendant of mm -hmm. David. You, you know, you don't say, you don't call your grandson my Lord, right? Mm -hmm. So Jesus is saying, okay, y'all, why? Why would he be calling his Lord? That's because it's someone greater. It's, it's going to actually be the Lord who comes. So he, he's using the Psalms to attribute his divinity and messianic nature. And, and it doesn't end just with Jesus quoting them. Uh, they're used very extensively by the writer of Hebrews. Go back and read through Hebrews. You, you know, we get a whole history of the Old Testament. It's the most, obviously it's written to the Hebrews. It has most of that drawn in than any of the other New Testament books. And it's used often again to show the divinity of Christ and how that fulfills the Messiah and how Jesus him, himself fulfilled the Messianic Psalms. Um, so that that's one of the main things. You just look at how much the New Testament uses it, how much the early church used it. Obviously, then it's good for us to continue with it. And it also gives us the example of how to interact with God, you know, especially corporately. So, Krista, why don't you, as our resident songwriter and singer person, <laughs> singer person, bring up, mm -hmm, yeah, bring up uh, how we use it corporately. Yeah, I love it. Um, so, as far as how we interact with God, the, the Psalms, I you know I mentioned, and, and what they are, that they're a book of of songs and prayers. And as we, we learn more and more how to interact with God, you know, it's it's good to remember that God gives us a guide for how to do that. And the Psalms, the Psalms provide us with that guide. We are instructed in scripture to to sing hymns and psalms and spiritual songs. In Acts, it shows multiple times that the early church gathered together for singing the Psalms, for prayer and for reading the scripture. And so you, you see the, the saturation of the Psalms within the early church. And the Psalms still to this day form the basis for our modern worship songs and our modern worship gatherings. Sometimes they show up in ways that many of us are not familiar with, but there are these, these elements of what it looks like to, to start from the songwriting space in, in the modern world, often inspired by even a verse or two from within Psalms. There are probably hundreds of songs that you've heard over the years that you may not know actually took their first inspiration from a psalm or a particular line or an entire psalm in itself written in singable format. There are even some churches that to this day use the psalms exclusively in their worship. And actually in one of our, our coming episodes, we're going to talk a little bit about what it looks like to sing the psalms, which is something that we've been learning a little bit about through this process as well. But they've really been used in corporate worship services since they were created. And past that, they've been used in, in private spaces and in private worship as well. And I'm going to have Kevin talk a little bit about that too, because that's the other side of how they teach us how to interact with God. Right, so I'll read you this quote. The songs have been likened, Psalms have been likened to a mirror. So here, here's a good quote that explains things. There's not an emotion of which anyone can be conscious that is not here, that is the Psalms, represented as in a mirror. Or rather, the Holy Spirit has here drawn to life all the griefs, sorrows, fears, doubts, hopes, cares, perplexities, in short, all the distractions distracting emotions with which the minds of men are wont to be agitated. And that comes from the well-known emotional person, John Calvin, on his uh, commentary on the Psalms. It, again, John Calvin actually isn't really the way he's, he's known for. He's known more for his uh, his followers who are, are very much more wooden. And, and he was, of course, a huge fan of the Psalms because mm -hmm. he knew it would bring emotions from everyone. It, pro it provides everything you would express 
as far as emotions to each other and especially to God. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, in I think in modern, a lot of modern Christianity, there's kind of a stoicism. You can't complain. You can't. Mm-hmm. Go read the Psalms. All right, depending on how you categorize things, we'll talk about this later. Lament is the most common. That That is you expressing displeasure with God, sometimes directly at God mm-hmm. and challenging God. A lot of people think, yeah, we, we can't do that, but go go read the Psalms. And so we have these emotions. And of course, there's praise, thanksgiving, and we'll go through all those, but there's just a wide range of anything. I mean, as, as, as Calvin writes there, it's a mirror to our own soul. Any emotion we could have, we are here taught how to give that back to God, how to express that to God in a correct and worshipful way. Yeah. Well, what, what I've always liked about them, too, is that it's not just how to, but it really shows us that we should, mm. too. Like, it encourages you to be able to and says this is something that God has created us to do and and invites us into that by their very presence in the scriptures right. as well. And oftentimes, and I'm sure you can attest for this, too, it it gives you words for some of your emotions when you don't have them yourselves, which is really neat. So that's a little bit about why they're important. And they're really such an overlooked element within the Christian life. And that's one of our hopes in starting some of these conversations is to really have a resurgence in in our personal usage of the Psalms as well. But before we get too much more down that path, we thought we'd go over a little bit of the organization of the Psalms because it can be a little bit confusing. And for those, especially if you're, you're a little bit newer to the book of Psalms, um, a helpful place to start is just understanding how they're put together. There are five main books of the Psalms, and I'm going to go through real quick and and divide them out so we know which book is which. We have book one, which is Psalm 1 through 41, book two, which is Psalm 42 to 72, book three, which is Psalms 73 to 89, book four, which is Psalms 90 to 1. 106. I had a mistake in my notes. Typo. 90 to 106. And then uh, book five is Psalm 107 to 150. So you might be thinking, okay, I didn't even know there were five books of the Bible. Why are there five books of the Bible? What does that tell us? Does it give us any starting point? Kevin, take it from here. Tell us a little bit about, is there a reason or how do we use that as a starting point? Yeah, it's very simple. No. <laughs> no, no, no. It's it's divinely inspired. You know, we, we believe that. So obviously there's something there. The thing is, we, we don't really know why. Uh, some scholars will look at it and say, okay, you split it into five books. You're clearly mirroring the uh, the Torah, the, the Pentateuch, the, the first five books of the Bible. So sh- sure, it could be because mm-hmm. uh, they were organized after they were written. Um, after they're all written, they're edited and put together because each psalm or sorry, each book actually ends with a doxology. So there's kind of a clear ending within each book, but other than that, they aren't really organized in in much of a way. Some people look at uh, book one, the predominant word for God is is Yahweh, the, the covenant name, whereas books four through five, the predominant is Elohim, but of course both are used in each. So I, I don't really find that necessarily compelling. Uh, probably the best person I've read is uh, Godfrey on his his book called Learning to Love the Psalms. He actually sticks with the five books, unlike most books you'll find written on the Psalms, which kind of go into genre. He sticks with the five book, and he actually kind of gives a... He looks for themes, but of course he says, okay, you know, these these one through 35 or 40 will show you a pretty clear... Um, Oh yeah, right here in the notes. So I guess I guess I'll, let me read through these real quick. So he says, you know, that in book one is going to be uh, confident in God's care. Book two, 
commitment to God's kingdom. Book three, uh, the king's crisis over God's promise. So the king in that would be David. So there, there's a lot more laments in those and others. Uh, comfort in God's faithfulness. And then finally, celebration of God's salvation. So if you, if you know the ending, the first five, the last five Psalms, you know there is a lot of celebration and we'll go through those specifically. But uh, I think you think he has an interesting book. Um, but again, he'll say, oh, if you look at these 20 in a row, except for these three, it kind of fits these things. Mm-hmm. So I think you think he's probably on to something. But the problem is we don't have any headings. There's there's no uh, <laughs> there's there's no okay. This is the book from David. So we don't mm-hmm. get them by writers. You know, we don't get choral. We don't get unattributed. And they're completely mixed together. You know, David is is in every single one of them. There's unattributed in every single book. It opens and ends with unattributed, and then has David even inside those. So it's in in Moses. It doesn't go chronologically. It doesn't start with Moses and then a bunch of David, and we end on Solomon or unattributed. Mm-hmm. And you know. That, that's one of the struggles people have because in our modern mind, we want to think you got to have a reason. Uh-huh. And, and clearly there was a reason. You, you know, we don't know the final editor who put these together, you know, 500 years before Christ. So we're talking well over 2,000 years ago. And it was put together for some reason and it was used. You know, again, like we said, this, these were used during services. They were used in multiple different ways, which we'll get to later. But uh, they were sung, they were prayed, they were read. And they had an idea. We don't really know what it is. And it just, I think it really hurts our, our modern Western mind because we want to say, all right, give me chronology. Give me longest to shortest. I don't care. Give me something. Give me some reason. And specifically, I think most people want to have, want genres, mm-hmm. right? We want some things. Yeah. We want some categories. I want to be able to say, okay, let's, let's pray tonight before dinner. Let me go to the Psalms and open up to the book, you know, book two, which is our Psalms of Thanksgiving. And mm-hmm. that's, that's just not the way it is. You have to really immerse yourself in the Psalms to know which ones would be the songs of Thanksgiving, perhaps, that you would want to sing. And they're going to be in every book. And I think that, I don't want to say it makes the Psalms unapproachable, uh, because I think the Psalms are approachable, but I think you have to understand it just, it just is not written. Uh, uh, we have a, a pastor who likes to say, what is it? It's written to, about, about us, but not to us. About us, but not for us. It's for, well, it's about us and for us. But not to us? Is it to us? Hopefully like, he's not listening because I'm should, just listening. All right. So, sorry, Heimler. We should probably we should probably cut that. But anyway, it, we just don't understand. And uh, we would like to. And I think that I think that holds people away from it. So since we're talking about genres and themes, categories, Chris, why don't you go through some of the issues yeah. with some themes? Well, there, there are multiple different genres and themes to the Psalms. There are countless ways to separate and categorize them depending on which author or which theologian you're talking to or reading there can be anywhere from five to 12 main categories and they're called different things and that makes it a little bit confusing to know exactly how to categorize a psalm often within a particular psalm it's also going to fit within three to four to sometimes seven categories depending on Mm -hmm. the psalm itself and so you very often can't isolate and say this is this type of psalm and this type of psalm only because it typically is more than one thing however for for the sake of this conversation and as for the sake of providing a starting point and foundation for the categories we do have a couple of the most common ones that are sometimes segmented more but to kevin's point before the thanksgiving genre is a is, is one of the main genres of psalms psalms that by 
you know, very obvious understanding are giving thanks to God for what he has done for us. Past that, one of the largest categories um, is, a, is praise and hymn psalms that are praising God for who he is. There are also a number of psalms of lament within the psalms. And in fact, I think it's one of the largest categories of psalms within there as well. So to the point of, of the earlier part of our conversation of expressing the full range of emotions, the presence of so many psalms of lament really confirms that within our lives as well. Similar to lament, there's also psalms of confession, which we, we typically put up within lament psalms as well. But those are four um, psalms that express lament over your personal sin against God. There are also a couple main categories um, that, that capture other elements. One is uh, the, the genre of confident psalms that are that are speaking to a Christian's confidence in God's provision in the future. There's also remembrance psalms that speak to God's care and promises and faithfulness in the past as evidence of how he will come through in the future. And then also there's a, a large category of, of wisdom psalms and also one um, that we're going to get into later in the series that are kingship psalms that talk about um, royal psalms, whether it's it's a psalm about David or a psalm that is pointing to Jesus as the coming Messiah. So broadly speaking, those are some of the main categories that the psalms fall into. But again, depending on who you're talking to and how you divide them, you really can segment more. One example being, you know, with within the praise psalms, you can have a praise song that is a creation-oriented praise song. You can have a praise song that is a a, a power and a sovereignty-oriented praise psalm. And so there's there's subcategories within those as well. And that, you know, it, it adds to the, the difficulties of, of figuring out how to engage with the psalms to some degree. And even within, within those, there'll be division in the confession or thanksgiving. Some will be personal, you know, obviously... Mm-hmm. Uh, this Psalm of David's personal repentance, but then there's also corporate repentance and corporate confession. So it can be divided even further, which, you know, and again, not in order. And, and I think that's part of the, mm-hmm. some of the difficulties and we'll run through a couple of other difficulties. I've, I've mentioned uh, the organization. It's just, it's for our minds, it's just all over the place. Um, you know, we, we can't say I'm, uh, you know, people use them for a call to worship. So it's like, let's find a good short praise. Uh, other than the last five, you can't say, okay, I'm going to turn to book two and this will be our call to worship. Or we're doing a confession and a word of assurance. Let me go to book three, which is our words of love men confession. It just, it's not organized that way. And like I said earlier, I think that turns people away. And it's especially because it is a large book in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, the other thing is they're all poetry, right? I mean, that's, mm-hmm. that's why we sing them. That's why we pray. It has a very poetic nature. And a couple different scholars have written on this, and as you start to read them, you understand why they're poetry. It helps, for one thing, it helps you remember, but also these are songs to God and prayers, and, and there's something lost in just straight language. It's, it's why when people start trying to read through the Bible, they get to what, like Leviticus, and it's just straight mm-hmm. laws, and they say, yeah, I'm, I'm going to skip yeah, ahead. Pass. <laughs> let's, let's get to something else. And let's, let's go to some action scenes. Mm-hmm. Let's, let's hit Samuel and Kings, yeah. right? So. So there's there's poetry, but again, it's not modern Western poetry. It's not the poetry as we know it. There's no rhyme scheme, um, which is is what we're really used to. And similarly, there's there's no meter. There, you know, we're used to the, you know, kind of iambic meter, especially mm-hmm. in Western in, in English, and the, neither of those exist. You can try to put them in there, mm-hmm. and sometimes I can't help myself, especially if I'm reading something like a New Living Translation, some of the more thought for thought. Those seem to, I don't know if those translators mean to put them in meter, but they seem to almost be there. And mm-hmm. especially for laments, I actually like reading those 
in, in uh, meter. I think it helps, but it's not there. It doesn't exist in the Hebrew. And, and you know, so, so we don't have scheme, we don't have meter. And speaking of Hebrew, that's, that's something that's also lost is, you know, we translate them to English. So they may not have rhymed in the Hebrew, but there could be some wordplay. And if you have a good study Bible, you'll have some notes a lot of times. And at the bottom, it'll say, this word sounds like the word for this. Mm-hmm. And so there's kind of plays and puns and um, kind of jokes and often digs at people, but also mm-hmm. celebration type things. And really, they're, they're puns. That's, that's the best explanation. But that's again, that's lost in English. Yeah. Um, and then this is, I guess, more of a stylistic thing. What's lost is, is some of the Psalms, uh, I think three or four of them, plus most famously 119, are acrostics. And that's the entire, each line uh, of each chap- or verse starts with the letter in the alphabet. Mm-hmm. And there's, I think, 24, 22? In the Hebrew alphabet. Right, in Hebrew. And not Sorry, even should, ours. Should be clear. So yeah. Two things removed from us. Which, and you're looking at it and you're like, well, wait, but there's not 26 of these. Yeah, because there's only, I think, 22, 24. Probably should look that up. There's less. So there's less letters. Mm-hmm. They're also not the Latin alphabet. It's a completely different alphabet. So we just see 119 as this big, long psalm, and we don't see that it's what it would look like mm-hmm. in kind of that English acrostic. Um so let's talk about some of the things that they do have there that, that is distinctive. I think the most distinctive is parallelism. And this is not this is not just in poetry, uh, the poetic sections, or even just the Psalms. It's throughout the Old Testament. You'll have a lot of, you know, we have this at the, at the very beginning, you know, the opening lines of creation where we have the parallelism of, you know, the skies created and then, a couple of days later, the sun is created and, you know, the water and land are separated and then sea creatures, you know, that sort of, it's that parallel where it is, you do this and then you do this. There's, there's a king and then there's a promise. And I think we, we start open and, and more specifically is, is chiasm, which is probably close to the Hebrews I'm going to get, uh, is something where it's the opposite. And that, that's very common. It's a type of parallelism. And there's maybe four or five different types of parallelism depending on what kind of scholar you talk to or read and you know it'd be like an a b and b a so it'll kind of reverse or it'll go down the verses where it'll look something like a topic will be a a a b and then b b b b as as it goes through and each one each verse and line will mirror itself but but the simplest way is you can just start with one so just look at psalm one our, our opening verse the way of the righteous and the way of the wicked Right, so the the righteous verse two, his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So that's the righteous. What is the wicked? Therefore, the wicked shall not stand in judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. So you see the, this is what these people do, and this is what these people do. So there, that's that's one type, and, and there are multiple types. Like I said, there, there's a, a mirror type. Another great one. I'll go through this quickly. Is Psalm three, one through four, where there's kind of a, a lament at first, and then you see the response. So I'm, I'm going to read this kind of out of order, but uh, if you if you want to just check later, go read Psalm 3, 1 through 4. He says, O Lord, how many are my foes? But then later he says, but you are my shield around me, O Lord. So he has foes, but God is his shield, right? How many rise up against me, but you bestow glory on me and lift up my head? Then later, many are saying to me, God will not deliver him. What is 
what does the psalmist say here? To the Lord I cry aloud, and he answers me. So there's that sort of parallelism, and, and it's used very often, just like in Psalm 1, with the the righteous and the wicked, or you know God's people and those outside of God's people, those who want to attack God. Uh, you know, some of the famous ones say, you know, he calls to God but does not answer. You know, he's lamenting. He's seeing that his, you know, the, the, his foes, the other people against the nation of Israel are are prospering. Mm-hmm. And they say that God will not answer you. And he says, but no, I know God will answer me and there will be judgment in the end. So you kind of have that, here's one side, but here's another. Mm-hmm. And, and here's how some people act and here's how some people act. And that's probably the most common thing. And, and it's it's difficult to see. Sometimes once you start to see the pattern, it sticks out and, and you see what they're trying to do and you kind of see a little bit of the poetic nature. Mm-hmm. And then one last point on their poetry uh, that, that does really stick out is most of our poetry, you know, there's the big ending. Uh, you know, it builds the whole way and then it ends with a major point and then it's over. That's not necessarily the case. Mm-hmm. A lot of times the main point, uh, especially, the, you know, the shorter psalms, especially the praise ones, are, is in the middle so it'll kind of build slightly and then we'll make a point and then that point is supposed to kind of be read with the second half of it and it explains what it is so the main point again is in the middle but we're going to take it all the way through very differently and so we're going to uh, read an example real quick of what that would look like and from psalm 23 Go ahead, yeah Kurt. so psalm 23 is probably the most well-known psalm in all the world it's the one that starts with the lord is my shepherd And the first four verses really carry that shepherd theme. And so you would likely go into it thinking that that is the the central point of the psalm, that God is your shepherd, which it's not necessarily untrue because, of course, God is your shepherd. But the the heart, the point of the theme and of the psalm really comes in the middle in the the phrase, for you are with me. And so one one thing that you can do in reading a psalm in order to reinforce that central point is to, to pair it with each line as you go through. And I'm going to, for just a second here, read through this psalm, placing that central theme at the end of each verse. And if you just listen to these words, you can see how the psalm opens up this new meaning as you go through. So let me read this. The Lord is my shepherd, for you are with me. I shall not want, for you are with me. He makes me lie down in green pastures, for you are with me. He leads me beside still waters, for you are with me. He restores my soul, for you are with me. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake, for you are with me. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me, for you are with me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies, for you are with me. You anoint my head with oil, for you are with me. My cup overflows, for you are with me. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, for you are with me. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever, for you are with me. So you can see the way that that really unlocks the theme of the psalm when it's paired with that. And so that's one of those things that as we've been uncovering how to read the psalms, that's been really meaningful for us as we're, we're looking for those central themes, because that's the way our, our brains work a lot. Um, a couple other things that can sometimes be a little strange as you're reading through the psalms, um, two things that I'll point out before we kick it back for some other things that Kevin has as far as historical context. But two odd things that I run into personally that throw me off sometimes are how quickly the 
the subject changes from, for example, I speaking in, in first person singular to we in, in the first person plural and some of those changes um, that's typical of, of poetry in general but also of, of Hebrew poetry um, and then also there's often very sudden and abrupt changes in mood and this is likely seen mostly in some of the lament psalms when there is a state of despair at the beginning of a psalm and then one line later, all of a sudden, the psalmist is praising God and rejoicing in, in the assurance of faithfulness. And sometimes when, when you read that, the assumption can be that the psalmist wrote that in one sitting and they just worked through their emotions <laughs> right away um, as we envision every quote-unquote good Christian would do. But in fact, the way to read some of those is to know that they were often the product of of study and of constant prayer and it really shows the outer workings of of a, a life of faith and so they really point to what could have taken months or years for a psalmist in a certain environment to do that so i think that's a good thing to to be able to, to talk through some of the other issues we run into is is not knowing necessarily all the historical context everyone would have known this then from what the psalmist was referring to but there's there's an entire psalm of praise where he says you know, it's basically saying, thank you, God, for our victory over Og of Bashan, mm-hmm. uh, which is some cool Game of Thrones sounding stuff. But <laughs> most of all, we don't we don't know who that is. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, uh, you know, maybe you can go look it up and maybe some people do it. Or or if you just happen to be going through the whole Bible like we're doing right now with the mm-hmm. church, uh, you just read that in um, before the conquering of Canaan. So but other than that, you don't know who that is. And so you're reading that and there's some confusion of like, OK, cool. There's this great praise and this great military victory and sure we praise god for that but i don't know who these people are and so our distance kind of kind of hurts and and i had one scholar he narrowed it down he said it wasn't many but he put 17 references that basically no one's going to get and he kind of shrugged that off but i was thinking there's 150 psalms that's that's over 10 percent of some references that you just are not going to get Mm -hmm. so and then there's just other things like there is the reference to Leviathan, which, you know, that's in the Psalms, that's in Job, and we don't exactly know what it is. There's some arguments of maybe mythological, uh, which is weird. Why would there be mythological animals in the Bible? Well, if they were well known for a certain thing, kind of makes sense, or maybe they represent some other sort of sea creature. So we don't really know what that is, and we read that, and it, it kind of confuses and and it keeps us separate. You know, they were written, again, thousands of years ago. And so that separation continues to make it difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- so that's the past. So how do we read this as a Christian today? Because some of these are, well, all of them are written before Christ, obviously, and some of them point to Christ. And we'll talk about that in a minute. But again, we're having these these national senses, you know, that, that victory over Og, right? And But we also have what's called imprecatory psalms. And these are the prayers for God to bring destruction to other people, yeah. to other nations. And, you know, prior to the cross, you know, the, the, the Messiah is now we wait Christ's return. And this is where we are now. But before then, they had no Messiah at all. And so they're just thinking solely as this national unit. And so they need God to crush other national units. And that's just, that's not how we do things today and also just sounds very strange it's the very thing to, to sing about or to pray about uh, similarly there's kingship songs we don't have a king so we have these kingship song psalms where we'll sing or pray like praising god as a king but that that sounds funny mm-hmm. you know even the, our leader our president is chosen by us but this this is chosen by god and there's a glory and there's just again there's a historical distance 
that we just are missing. So, mm-hmm. and like I said, the, these all before Christ, and which means there's also Messianic Psalms. So, Chris, mm-hmm. you want to talk a little bit about those? Yeah, the, the Messianic Psalms are, are a subset, in a sense, of the kingship songs, but they have a particular way that they point to the coming Messiah. It's about a king to come to save to save Israel, to save to save God's people, and being on the other side of of Jesus being here it's it's hard to interpret how to use those in in corporate and, and private worship because Jesus has come and he has died and he ha- he was resurrected and so we have that promise that the Israelites were looking forward to and so it can create a theological distance from some of those mm-hmm. psalms which which can be difficult to and so one of the things that that we often point to in that is that it also allows us to look forward to the second coming of Christ, but also to, to think about what our, our our brothers and sisters in the faith before us, the hope that they placed in God's provision of that. And so it can, it can at first glance, create some distance, but as you sit in it and, and think about the historical context of what it meant then and what it can mean now, and also look at, at it as a, um, a remembrance psalm in the present day, I think that has a mm-hmm. lot of value in bringing you forward into, into the modern age with the psalms as well. Um, so those are some of the, the overall difficulties that, that we have encountered with the psalms that a lot of scholars and authors write about. We have two books that we, um, we really would recommend that we're going to link to in the show notes that could provide some additional reading if you guys want to explore some of this more. Um, but I think some of the, the value in, in this is talking a little bit about our personal experience in learning to appreciate and use the Psalms more. And so we're going to talk just briefly about that before we close today, because neither one of us really grew up with the Psalms as a major part of our corporate gatherings. They were likely present and used in times. We were familiar with some of them over the years, as you happen to be. But some of this for both of us started just in the past couple of years. So Kevin, talk about your entry point into the Psalms. Yeah, one of the first ways that I started to see the importance of the Psalms, it was introduced to me, was different than what we've talked about so far as, as, as far as songs and prayers. Uh, it actually came through uh, counseling. I was taking some courses through CCEF and Westminster Seminary um, about counseling and, and biblical counseling. And in the intro to biblical counseling, um, David Paulson, the, the professor at the time, he's, he's since passed away, talked a lot about really what that quote from we had from Calvin earlier about the reflection of the emotions and your emotions towards God. And I, I was really surprised it, how the Psalms would be used in that counseling sense of expressing emotions and reaching emotions. And so as we read scripture for these courses, again, it's, it, they're at a seminary, so it's, it's biblical counseling. It's focused on how can you draw emotions out of people and into yourself and, and those sort of things. They just relied deeply on the Psalms, and we would read those, and we would do exegesis of, of Psalms, and that's that was really surprising, and and I thought, man, this these must I must be missing something, clearly missing something. So uh, that's kind of an outside thing. Chris, you want to talk about the the songwriting worship leader aspect of it? Yeah, many of you know I'm a songwriter, worship leader, and with that comes a, a love of, um, of of music, of course, and knowing that the Psalms were a, a place of music and song. In the context of the church, it's um, it's something that I likely should have had a, a higher appreciation for when I was younger. But quite honestly, there was an assumption that because of some of those things that I was engaged with, like songwriting and worship leading, that I would have had this long-standing love of the Psalms. But in fact, that wasn't always the case because of many of these difficulties that we talked about. Because there, there's just some distance between 
some of them and and you know the life of a Christian. But over the the past couple of years, I, I think God has really been deepening my appreciation of what they offer in striving to bring theologically rich discussions into the church and having them have a higher level of prominence in in worship gatherings and the formation of the church. It's really deepened the way that I approach the Psalms and it's it's given this fresh perspective on what they offer even in the modern day. And so it's been something that I've I've likely been involved with longer, but not in the same way as recent as recent years. And it's been really neat to start doing some writing in the songwriting space specifically based on the Psalms. And and typically they've been an afterthought. I would start writing something that I was going through or experiencing and then if I needed something, go to the Psalms. But lately I've been going to the Psalms first and starting there and letting that form where some of my my writing goes. And that's been an interesting (coughs) thing to think through and to experience. And I think God's been deepening um, my understanding of their value in corporate and private worship as well throughout this process. And then past that, and I know um, both of us have talked about this at length, that they've they've helped us both to deepen our prayer lives because of the guides that they offer. And that's been really rewarding on my end as as oftentimes it's, it's... confusing to pray when you don't often have the words or sometimes you just don't know all the rhythms and we get into rhythms as Christians that we see other people pray certain ways and we think that we should model that when really we have these great models in in the Psalms for that so um, I know that's been true for you too in learning how to pray yeah that was, that was really the my second uh, coming back to the Psalms where where the first was the counseling and the motions and you know I, I kind of moved on from counseling and, and got into some other things uh, but maybe two years ago we, we were in the midst of some things and I really thought man I, I'm not good at praying and I find it I find it very difficult and so I started reading different books including uh, Keller's book and, and we'll link these other ones too uh, Tim Keller's book on prayer which is probably one of the best ones uh, I read Martin Luther and Calvin and they all speak about prayer and all of these authors everyone they all point straight to the Psalms it's just saturated in Psalms even more so um I guess maybe not necessarily more so. All of them would bring up the Lord's Prayer. But it was basically two things. They'd say, look at the Lord's Prayer and look at the Psalms. And it was just psalm after psalm, page after page. Mm-hmm. And this is how you would, you know, again, it's kind of to your emotions. It's kind of that praise. It tells you how to respond to God. And that's essentially what prayer is. Mm-hmm. And that's why even, and we'll go more into this um, on our next episode where we talk about how to use the Psalms. But that's why they're in all the Book of Common Prayer and the Book of Common Worship, they, they teach you this. And I think quickly to, to wrap up, you know, one of the ways that they talk about for prayer is praying the Psalms back. And that sounds funny, but you can kind of take it in your own words. And if you've read much on prayer, you'll you'll see this with the Lord's Prayer too. We say, you know, our Father in heaven, holy is your name. And then you're supposed to pray back, like giving God glory for it. And so Psalm 23 that we talked about earlier is a, is a great one. It, that's an easy one to go through. You know, it's a short psalm. Go through, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Okay, what does that mean for me? Like, mm-hmm. do I believe God is actually my shepherd and will provide for me? Mm-hmm. He, you know, and you go through each and you pray that back. And, you know, supposedly Martin Luther would, would just go with the psalms and sit and read through for an hour, hour and a half of reading the Psalms and praying to God. So I'd recommend everyone, and like I said, we'll go through this next time, but if you are struggling with how to pray, there's really nothing better than, than the mm-hmm. Psalms. So Yeah. Well, that's that's probably a good place to wrap up for today. We hope you'll join us next time as we go into a little bit more detail and practical thoughts on how to use the Psalms. 
for now, we're going to close. We are glad that you joined us. If you enjoyed the episode today, please rate, review, and subscribe to Modern Cloister. You can find us on social media. I'm at Carissa Turner on Instagram and Twitter. And and after much harassment, I am finally on the <laughs> gram. I don't still quite understand what it is, uh, but if you want to find me there, you can find me at Kevin Reviews Books, which, as the name implies, talks about 18th century haberdashery. <laughs> you can also find me at the Kevin Turner on Twitter, and I still write occasionally at MondayMorningTheologian.com. Our website is ModernCloister.com, and we will see you next time. <laughs>